Welcome to Embrace Your Brain's exciting new series called Embracing the Mature Mind. Join Dr. Dee Coulter as she explores the natural brilliance awaiting us all in the upper decades. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Unpacking the Realm of Co-Regulation. The last three podcasts have been looking at COVID kids and what did they miss, and we ended up looking at adolescents and realizing that what they missed the very most was each other. And the reason for that was that you couldn't do adolescence if you couldn't co-regulate. That's how you learn to become an adolescent and an adult. So let's look at the word co-regulation because it's giving us possibilities for new ways of thinking, I, I believe. It was first coined by psychologists who were studying attachment patterns and bonding several decades back. But it was just a descriptive term back then. They weren't measuring anything. But then, once Stephen Porges started working with it, and we've talked about him, he began to study the physiology of heart rate and breath patterns that were involved in this bonding. It became a measurable and observable phenomenon. So now, the left brain, perfectly rational, could realize that it existed. Without the idea of co-regulation, we weren't holding the question of how it might work. And there were actually all sorts of findings that arose as long ago as the 70s, but they got dismissed as just oddities. They were answers, but we hadn't held the questions yet, and that's what happens. Those things fall away then. So let's look back on some of those. There was a woman named Thelma Moss who was at UCLA, and she developed a way of photographing the energy field around things, particularly plants, and she called it Curlian photography. Then she got to wondering if you could see the outline of a plant, maybe a leaf, after you'd cut half of it away. And sure enough, the energy field still had the whole leaf in it. What would happen if she tried to film healers? There was a woman named Rose Gladden in England who was quite a well-known laying on of hands type of healer. So he, she brought her over to California and they studied her. And they could see the hand of Rose Gladden and it would have a lot of light coming out of her fingertips. And then here was the patient whose fingertips were kind of dim. And as she put her hand on the patient, over a period of very little time, the light in Rose Gladden's hands diminished and the light in the patient's hand enlarged. So that was pretty exciting, but nobody really seemed to care. And there was even, there was this fellow in, in Israel who apparently was a mechanic, and his truck broke down in the middle of the desert. This is about the same period of time in our, in our history. And he had nothing to repair the truck with, and it was a place where nobody was going to be coming forever and a day. So he figured he had nothing for it but to try to heal his truck. So he did. He just kind of did a laying on of hands and sent energy to the truck. And sure enough, it fired up and it got him to the nearest town. So he was kind of impressed with that. And he went on to become a typewriter repairman. And he was doing pretty well at that. And they called him over to do the same kind of experiment Rose Gladden did. Well, he was pretty puffed up about himself. And so when he had his hand on the patient's, sure enough, he had a lot of light coming out of his hands. And the patient didn't have very much. But over a period of time, what happened was his fingers got even larger and larger with light, and the patients were getting even more dim. He was sucking the life force out of the patient because his ego was pretty much involved. 
So that, that was kind of a bust. So Thelma Moss did another interesting thing. Not only was she looking at how energy could be emanating or sending, she wanted to know whether we could pick it up from each other. So she got therapists and clients to agree to be in a room together doing their, doing their sessions, and each of them was hooked up to an EEG machine. The printouts were going on in other rooms. And the instruction was, would the client please push a button when it felt like they were on the same wavelength finally? So they tracked that, and they continued to watch after that point. What they found was that prior to their being on the same wavelength, the client was pretty steady, but the therapist was undulating around trying to get into a different state, finally seemed to be on the same page as the client. At that point, their wavelengths were identical. And then what the therapist would do once they got on the same wavelength is begin to change again toward a more wellness-based state of mind, and the client then could follow. So that whole idea of being able to pace and then lead somebody caught on in business, too, during that period of time. It was a big strategy for teamwork. You get on the same wavelength as the people that are under you, and then you direct them to wherever you wanted them to go. I guess we should also remember that that was the period of time when they were doing odd studies about plants, too. Remember that book, The Secret Life of Plants? And they would see vines growing towards speakers playing Mozart and away from acid rock speakers, and then the plants would wither in the presence of angry behavior or violence toward another plant. And then they would thrive in the presence of green thumb caretakers. So that made me think, I wonder if plants ever serve us. You know, they're Bach flower remedies that were extracted from the budding and flowering parts of any plant, and a lot of those were trees. So does it matter if you grew up in Elmhurst or Oak Park or Mapleton Hill? Could it be that those trees have in some way imprinted your character in a healing way? Okay, now we'll get back to more normal things, all right? Because what about child-to-adult connections? You know, Porges was tracking the heart-breath vitality that was exchanging with infants, and he documented how a calm parent could calm a distressed baby. So that's the physiology of co-regulation, all right. But it seems like kids, as they grow older, still pick up states from us, even when we wish they wouldn't. You know, good luck faking it with young kids. Like if you have a headache or something, you better tell them. Otherwise, they're going to figure out that you're being mean or something. I found that to be true even when I was teaching special ed kids. I had to let them know if I wasn't feeling well because they would make up all sorts of ideas in their head as to what it must mean if I didn't tell them. And then you think about things like assemblies in school. Isn't it interesting? They always picked either the music teacher or the PE teacher to organize everybody there. (laughs) Here are all the kids sitting in the bleachers and there's supposed to be an assembly going on and somebody has to go in and get them all to calm down. Well, you'd think the principal would do it, but rarely did they have that kind of relationship to the kids. It was either the music teacher or the PE teacher. And think about it. The reason for that is that their jobs were to create a co-regulation among the students. They were holding a picture of them coming together of producing harmony. So they were inviting the kids always to become a team or an ensemble. 
And by embodying those possibilities, they drew that forth in the kids. So how does this affect the kids that they're working with? I think the kids are striving to match the picture that the music teacher and the coach are holding for them. I remember the Tai Chi teacher at Naropa getting very frustrated once with some students who were imitating the look of Tai Chi, but they weren't doing what she was trying to get them to do. And she said, look, don't look at me, just steal it off my body. What a beautiful way to say, just co-regulate, okay? And maybe that's what's the matter with all the math instruction. You know, we're doing such a bad job. But does math really live in everybody? Not so. I love math. I think about numbers all the time. I would have been, and I had been, a really good math teacher. But if you don't care about numbers, if you aren't co-regulating that delightful patterned world, there's nothing the kids can pick up on. They can't co-regulate with you. So then math becomes a really dead mental practice. So now let's think about elders. If you're an elder like I am, you you might think that, gee, there's not much I'm doing in the world. Everybody else is quite active, and I'm just kind of hanging out here. But I would suggest that our very presence can be a powerful service if we think about it in terms of co-regulation. Thich Nhat says, In mindfulness, one is not only restful and happy, but alert and awake. Meditation is not evasion. It is a serene encounter with reality. So perhaps the greatest gift we can give to the world is to develop a meditation practice so others can co-regulate with our serenity. I really hope you'll join me in this important conversation. Please send your comments for sharing to d at embraceyourbrain.com. I look forward to hearing from you.